Turn your Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 31. We're talking about, again, God's global glory and what's about to happen on the earth. I think the first time that I really mentioned it was in uh, Numbers chapter 14, when, uh, when Moses and Joshua and Caleb said, well, you know, we gotta, we, we've got to go possess the land, and, the, and, they, and they, they wouldn't do it because uh, their belief system wasn't in tune. And so, but, but God didn't stop there. He said, but as surely as I live, my glory will cover the earth. Like he said, this generation might not, but we are the generation that will. So say, I'm that generation. I'm going in, going to possess everything that God has for me. Then, of course, in Exodus, like there's so many places we could go, but in Exodus chapter 40, we found out that when the glory came down and filled the tabernacle, that Moses and the priests, they fell out in the spirit. They couldn't even get in what God was doing. <laughs> and, of course, we see it again over in Second Chronicles chapter 5 when Solomon finished the temple. So we see when the tabernacle was finished, the glory came. When the temple was finished, the glory came. Know ye not, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. So we need to be expecting things. But first of all, we need to understand what the glory is because it's more than a manifestation. It's more than I saw a cloud in the service. I saw a smoke or, or any of those things. It's a whole lot more than that. So let's, but again, in Genesis chapter 31, there's a great illustration here talking about Jacob. And Jacob, as you know, when he, he was promised the double portion, he got the double portion blessing from Isaac, chiseled his brother out of it or whatever, but he got it, and uh, the double portion. But yet when he, ran away from, uh, when he ran away from Israel, he left with only his staff in his hand. And all he had was the word. All he had was the covenant promise. The staff is representing something greater. But he had it in his hand, and when he left, he went and worked for Laban, and, uh, and he worked there for 20 years. He married two of his daughters. You know the story if, you, if you're aware of it. And they, it, the Bible says that Laban changed his wages 10 times. That doesn't mean he got a raise every other year. That means that every time something went wrong, he got a deduction in his salary. Matter of fact, Jacob said, you know, if, an animal, if, if one of the sheep died, you charge me for it. You know, here he is out. He said, I'm out there covered in frost and looking after your stuff. But anyway, the, the, the long story short, at the end of the day, God intervened. And now Jacob is leaving. And we're going to look in on it in chapter 31. And he heard the voice of Laban's sons saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's. And that which was our father's has gotten, he's gotten all of his Glory. So, you know, we've taught this on wealth, the wealth transfer. Well, it's certainly that, but it's more than that because the word is kabod or kabod, however you want to pronounce it, A-A-B-O-D. And it means the very essence of his being. All that he is, the full weight of him. Everything that he is, everything that he had, the full weight of his presence, we'll say. Okay, you got that? Can we move a little further? Can we go to uh, Genesis chapter 40, 43 or 45? 45. And of course, this is another story. This is the story of Joseph. And Joseph was sold by his brother, brothers into slavery, just like Jesus was. He was thrown into a pit, just like Jesus went to hell. 
He ended up in Egypt, which is a type of the world, of course. And when he got there, things didn't get any better because, you know, Potiphar had a wife and, and, uh, and, and it caused a whole lot of trouble. And then he ended up in jail and things kept getting, you know, going from bad to worse. But then one day, one suddenly, <laughs> suddenly, they came to him after sitting in jail for two years and said, the Pharaoh wants to see you. And they said, hurry. But he was so confident in what the word of God had promised him in a dream that he said, no, I'm not going anywhere until I have a shave and I have a shower and I get cleaned up. And then he went into the presence of Pharaoh and Pharaoh made him the second in command over all of Egypt. Now think about it from the prison or the pit to the palace, however you want to say it, whatever vernacular you'd like to choose. He went from the very bottom to the very top overnight. And I'm telling you, I'm sure of this. I'm sure of this as sure as I'm standing here. Watch out, church. No, it was just like the day of Pentecost. And suddenly, the day of Pentecost was fully coming. Suddenly, there came a sound. Suddenly, suddenly things shifted and suddenly things changed. Just like what happened in our world already this year in March. Suddenly, everything changed. And that was the devil's shot at trying to stop what God's about to do on the earth. That was his best shot. He took his best shot. It didn't work. Well, it worked on some, but pray for them. Pray for them. Those, those that you give us, Lord, we don't lose any in Jesus' name. But anyway, so, so now, he, now he's revealed himself to his brothers in chapter 45, and he wants to describe his situation to his father in verse uh, 13. And you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that, and look at this, all that you have seen. So there's, there's going to be visible signs and wonders in this, right? Tell them what you saw. You threw me in a well, but look at me now. I'm riding the king's chariot. I'm second in command over the whole nation. I'm dressed in royal robes and I command and things get done. From a jail cell, to in command from a situation in your life, whatever it might look like at the moment. And maybe you've been struggling with it for years. You know, it took, it took 13 years for Joseph to turn it around or God to turn it around for Joseph. It took 20 for Jacob. But the thing was, they hung in there, man. They, you know, you know, and you don't have to say, well, I'm going to try it for another week. No, just get through the day. Just for today, this is the day of the, of the Lord. This is the day the Lord's made. I'll rejoice and be glad and, and get through this day. Don't think about how am I going to handle next week? No, handle today. That's, that's Bible. That's Matthew chapter 6. Think about how you're going to handle today. So he said, tell them what you've seen and haste and bring my father here. Get some sudden things happening here. Okay, now I need to go to Isaiah. I'm, and again, I'm passing a bunch of opportunities to teach here, but I believe that this is part one of an ongoing thing. Part one, God's global glory. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when you begin to see it, when you begin to see it, you can seize it. You can grab a hold of it. Isaiah chapter six, and I know you're from, most of you would be familiar with this story, talking about King Uzziah died. And of course, if you know anything about King Uzziah, he ruled for 52 years. 
he got full of pride and decided he was going to operate in the priest's office instead of just the office of a king. And so he went in and did his own sacrifice deal, and uh, it caught leprosy. And they had to build him. Matter of fact, they just excavated recently his house. He had to have a separate house. He was the king, but he couldn't live with everybody else because he had a disease that he could was very contagious. <laughs> and they didn't have masks back then to save the human plant, human race. <laughs> anyway, we'll have to leave that alone. Okay. But in the year the king, this is Isaiah talking. In the year the king Isaiah died, and I wrote in my marriage, in every Bible that I've got, something has to die in order to have a resurrection. You know, if you got pride in your life, let it go today. <laughs> Don't hang on to it. Be pliable. Be teachable. In the year the king Uzziah died, Isaiah said, Then I saw the Lord. He got a, when, he, when, when all the flesh got out of the way, he got a, a revelation of who God was. He said, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. It was high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphims. One had six wings that covered his face, and with two more he, on his feet, and with two more he flew. <laughs> Sounds like Star Wars. <laughs> Some of the things. And, and, and one cried to, unto another and said, look at this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. The whole earth is full of his glory. So here he is prophesying. The whole earth is full of his glory. His weight, his presence, his very essence. The whole earth filled with his glory. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. But the first thing that happened there was he, um, we see that he saw God. And I've taught on this before. The first thing that happens is he saw God. And then when you see God, you see yourself. Uh, example in Matthew chapter 16, uh, Jesus said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. You got a, some wisdom and revelation knowledge. And then he said, So then once he identified Jesus, Jesus identified him. And he said, Now you know no longer Simon Barjona. We know all about Jonah, sign the son of Jonah. So somewhere in the lineage of Jonah, he was, you know, he, he said, you're no longer that, but you're Peter Petros, a chip off the old block. You're, you're Rocky. He, he might've called him Rocky Bell, <laughs> Rocky Bell Jonah. I don't know, but he changed, but when he, but see what, what happens when you identify God in your life, he'll identify you. And so the, then, then the next thing that happened was he saw others. He looked, he, he, the first thing he said was, I am a man of unclean lips. So he saw himself as helpless and hopeless. And you know what? That's a good way to see yourself even when you're full of the Holy Ghost. Because without him, you're nothing. Keeps you humble. He opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And so he said, I saw myself and I saw myself as helpless and hopeless. And then I saw others and I saw that we were all in the same condition. He said, the, the, the posts of the door moved, and the voice of him that cried, the house was filled with smoke. 
How many of you ever ever seen that? You've seen the glory in a church service. Anybody here? Yeah. You know, if you're if you when you get over into the realm of the spirit, you'll see it more often. Like sometimes with carnality, um, it doesn't happen as fast. But but when you get over into the realm of the spirit, you can see things that other people can't see. You can hear things that other people can't hear because you get out of your head and yield to the Holy Ghost, right? Anyway, he said, then, then, then said I, woe is me, for I am a man of, un- I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I, I, I don't know, I know, I've had several experiences where God would just come into my room or come into my atmosphere with such strength. His radiance, it's, it's, his, it's almost like it's radioactive. Like when his presence is really manifesting in a fullness, it's almost like radiation. It's like, and whenever it happens, the first thing, words out of my mouth is, I'm sorry, forgive me. Even if I just got out of bed and never had a chance to do anything wrong. Because that's what his, he's so holy that it's just like, wow, God. And so this is what Isaiah is experiencing here. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I'm living with a bunch of people on unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims and came over with a live coal in his hand that he took with tongs off the altar, representing the cleansing power of God. He laid it on my mouth because that's where the problem is. Come on, Job 6.24. He said, wow. He said, if I only had known to shut my mouth, my family would still be alive. I killed my family. I lost my farm. I, re- I ruined everything because of my mouth. Job recognized it in chapter 6 and verse 24. But anyway, so Isaiah is seeing it here right now. So he says, you know, because, if, because your words are life or death are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it eat the fruit that it bears, whether it be good or bad, right? So guard your heart, because out of your heart your mouth speaks with all diligence. So he said, he laid it upon my mouth and said, and he touched my lips and he said, look at this, your iniquity is taken away from you and your sin is purged. Read the book of James, it'll clear it all up for you. <laughs> and, then he, and then he commissions me, he said, go and tell the people. He said, here am I, and he said, go and tell the people. What am I going to tell them? What I just saw. I'm going to tell them what I just saw. I just saw the glory of God. So then when you jump over to Isaiah chapter 60, you know, these years later, this is what he has to say to you and I. You, you know, God said, go and tell them. He said, who can I send? And Isaiah said, I'm going to, God said, Isaiah, I'm sending you. He, he had no idea how far he was going to send them. He sent them right into 2020. Send them all the way from 700 and something BC to you today. And what's the word that he has for you today? And again, we know that this is true because Paul Quoted this in, in Ephesians 5, 14. Wake up and arise from among the dead. It's the same thing. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, a darkness shall cover the earth, and a gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall, but the Lord shall arise. Where? Where? Upon who? Upon you. And the Gentiles, those are the, the, those are the goyim, the nations that don't know God. 
They shall come to your light. So they're going to see something. They're going to see something. But now think about what the glory is. It's the heavy, weighty presence of God. It's the very essence of who he, who he is. It's his radiation, if you will. It's the reason when you see it in even a limited supply, people fall out in the spirit at the front of a church. Right? He said, the, Lord shall, the glory of the Lord shall arise upon you and shall be seen upon you. Gentiles will come to your light and kings. The Trudeaus of this world that we get upset with that are really being controlled by principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness and the spiritual wickedness. You know, the whole world out there right now is trying to fight one another, bring division and strife, when really the problem is principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world and the spiritual wickedness and the heavenlies trying to divide and conquer, trying to separate people from, for the, from the color of your skin to the position of your career, all kinds of things. But it's all about division, and God is all about, oh, how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Psalm 133 said, it's like it releases the anointing that came down over Aaron's head, over his beard, and pulled out on the floor. He said, when you get together in unity, not, you know, that's, that's, you can still disagree without being disagreeable. Unity is like, hey, we're, we're, we have one purpose. Our purpose to is exalt the Lord Jesus Christ in the last day. And it releases the anointing. Releases the anointing. Lift up your eyes now and see around about. They gather themselves together. The kings that would come to the brightness of your rising are the leaders that are out there right now that really need prayer more than, really need prayer more than criticism because they're trying to fight something that's way beyond, way beyond you know, humans can't fix this. I heard they were taking Hillary Clinton to court in September for all the emails that she deleted. Like, no, but it's one thing after another thing after another thing. And, and, and the more you look, the more you uncover, the worse it gets. We need God. We need God's glory. Lift up your eyes and see around about. They gather themselves together and they come to you. Your sons shall come unto you from afar. Your daughters shall be nursed at your side. You'll see and flow together. Your heart will reverence and be enlarged because the abundance of the sea. Now that abundance of the sea is interesting too, because you, it's almost like the glory of that, of them, because the abundance literally means their financial resources as well as their person. It means the abundance of the sea shall be converted onto you and the forces, that's the finances, the forces, the financial resources of the Gentiles are coming into the church. Why? Because we're greedy and we want to run away and build a big house. No, because it costs money to save souls. I was just watching James Robinson the other day in the child trafficking around the world. You know, like there's situations that only money can fix. Did you know that? That if you got money, you can go in and fix those things. You can set up uh, orphanages and you can set up hospitals and clinics and things like that. Uh, but, but because a few on TV preachers have ripped people off, we're skeptical about all of them. You know, and here they are, they're out there struggling to, and going in and seeing these hellish situations and almost powerless to do it. Well, not only that, because the church is broke lots of the time. <laughs> so, you know, the church can't help anybody because they haven't been. But again, Deuteronomy 8.18, he said, I'm giving you power to get wealth. 
to establish my covenant in the earth. This is exciting. Hallelujah. He said, your heart will reverence and be enlarged because the abundance of the sea, the Gentile nations will be converted onto you. When I read this, it finally made sense to me when Jesus said, you'll baptize nations in my name. I'm thinking, man, whenever we'd have seven or eight people, four or five, one or two on a Sunday to baptize, we are pumped. Can you imagine more baptisms? Pastor Paul hires an assistant. I just can't take it anymore. I'm wrinkled. <laughs> Converted onto you. Now, with that in mind, let's just jump way up into Romans chapter 8. And again, whenever you get to Romans, you want to read the whole chapter, don't you? I mean, it's, it's chapter 8 in the middle of 16 chapters. And 8 always means new beginning, you know. And when I read it, it starts out with, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. It just starts out right. You know, because in chapter 7, Paul was struggling with issues. How many of you have never had issues? He said, the thing that I want to do, I can't do. And the things that I find, the things I hate doing, I find myself always doing. Like, you know, if anybody's ever been on a diet, they know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't want to eat anymore. And there you are at the fridge. <laughs> there you are in the supermarket, right? <laughs> the spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak. And when God created us back in the garden, he created a man such, a, such an awesome creation in the very image and the likeness of God. And, and, he, and he was in control. He was in charge. And, and earth is here. The garden is here. And heaven is right there. And I remember when I was in Israel, I saw this really cool picture of the new Jerusalem and the, and the earthly Jerusalem, one hovering over top of the other. And it was like, and I began to see what it was like in Genesis, because in Genesis, it talks about four rivers, but only two of them were on the earth. So does that mean that heaven and earth were that close that the four of them were there? Does that mean that, that I'm, think about it, there was not, you know, we've got new foliage coming out everywhere. Help me, Lord. <laughs> I heard the grass growing again this morning. But, but, but can you imagine what it must have been like when nothing died? Not a leaf fell from a tree, nothing can you imagine in heaven being right there and Jesus walking with Adam in the cool of the day? And there's something about, you know, he breathed in them the breath of lives. And I get the idea that the oxygen that was being produced from those trees that never die. Like I get this whole picture of an atmosphere. No animal killed another animal. Everything was in harmony. Everything was in unity. I mean, just a couple of spiritual things in the garden, the tree of knowledge, good and evil, and the tree of life. The rest of it was all, all there for Adam to enjoy. And I'm sure that the air that he breathed, he was living. I know that he was living in the glory of God because Hebrews 2.10 says that Jesus, the captain of our salvation, being made perfect through suffering, came back to restore many sons back to glory. Living in the glory. Living in the glory means not aging. Living in the glory means you're in control of your flesh. You see, what happened with Adam was his spirit man was in total charge, and his, 
his mind as well as most and his body were subject to the spirit. But after he fell, now all of a sudden his flesh and his mind were controlling his life. And that's what happens. Even after you're born again, your spirit is renewed, but your flesh and your mind control your life. And until the spirit becomes ascendant in that place, gets back to that place. And again, this is why he said in second Corinthians three eighteen that you'd be changed from glory to glory into his image, into his likeness. As you step out from one, uh, one uh, revelation of glory into another, you become stronger in your spirit and your mind and your flesh become weaker. And the things that used to trouble you, bad circumstances that used to trouble you, don't bother you at all. Like Paul the Apostle sat in the jail and wrote to the Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord. Always and again I say rejoice. He had stepped over into a place that nobody else had gone. He knew that, hey, I'm free. I, I count myself I count myself happy, old King Agrippa, to share my faith with you. They had him locked up, but he wasn't locked up. He was living in the spirit, and his flesh was just cooperating. Right? And this is where he wants to get us to, you see? So that when trouble comes, huh? This is just another day to rejoice in the Lord. This is just another day to say, hey, I'm celebrating. It don't matter what it looks like because I know what it looks like. I'm the eyes of my understanding have been enlightened. And so I'm not moved by what I see with my natural eye. So, so, so that's Romans 8 to me. It's like, wow. You know, in chapter 7, verse 24, he said, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me? <laughs> right? He was looking at his flesh and his mind and realizing that he had to get over into the realm of the spirit and, and, and understand what, you know, Jesus said, thy kingdom come. He said, I want to teach you how to pray. Pray, my kingdom come, my will be done in your flesh, in this earth, not on earth, but in earth, in your earthen vessel. Let it be done as it is in heaven. Well, what's that like? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You're right with him and you should be at peace. Don't let anything steal your joy. Don't let anything steal your peace, right? So so that's that's verse one, no condemnation. (laughs) Verse 14 says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God. This is the goal. It's kind of like when you're dealing with an unsaved person, you want to tell them about Jesus. But when you're dealing with a Christian, you want to tell them about the Holy Ghost. You need the power of the Holy Ghost because my whole New Testament was written by spirit-filled Christians. They were tongue-talking, spirit-filled Christians that wrote this this New Testament. And so in order to understand it, I'm not saying, you know, the Pharisees could quote it. I'm not talking about Scripture knowledge. I'm talking about the revelation, the doing of the Word and not hearing only. That takes time and it's a process. Lots of times you're in grade six, you know, it's kind of, and like in a church, it's like a one-room school. They used to have them apparently back in the day. And so you'd have anywhere from grade one to grade 12 in the same, in the same building. And the teacher would have to get up and try to teach to everybody. Difficult to do. Without talking right over people's heads. And let people grow the way that they need to. Anyway, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the weos, sparks from the flame, one translation calls weos. But it's really, 
you know, it's one of the words for sons, it's the most powerful word for son because it's a covenant son. It's the heir the, 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 that's ready to receive the full inheritance. When you're walking in full sonship, you're ready to receive an inheritance. And I love verse 15 because we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But we've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Abba, or Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And, you know, again, Colossians 1.26, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Mm. <sighs> but let's read on. Uh, verse 18, I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the what? The glory that shall what? Come on. The struggle, the, the, the struggle leads you to the glory. You're, and what you're struggling with is your death. You don't want to die, but you have to die. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. There was something between, something blocking my view. And with you and I, it's flesh. It's the mind, it's the will, it's the emotions. We've got it all figured out. And don't go against my equilibrium because you messed me all up. And again, I've said that before. Lots of times people come to church and you can't help them at all because they already know it. They've already got their mind made up, but they're going to believe. And so you just have to keep pounding it and pounding it. And so one day it's like one day a guest speaker will come in and go, oh, yeah. Pastor, you should have heard that. Yeah. For I reckon... Reckon it, that's an accounting term if you read it in the Greek. I'm going to make this decision. I'm going to account this. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy compared with the glory that shall be revealed. Where? Come on, where? The heavy, weighty manifestations of God. Everything that he is, everything that he has, everything that he can do. His radiation flowing through you. Glory shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of all of creation is waiting for Donald Trump to fix everything. Is that what that says? No. It says the earnest expectation of creation is waiting for a manifestation of the sons of God. They've been here for 2,000 years, and for the first three or 400 years of the church, they were manifesting all the time, healing the sick, raising the dead, doing all kinds of Holy Ghost things. They were fulfilling the promise in Mark chapter 16. He said, go and preach the gospel to every creature. Come on, he said, lay hands on the sick, see them recover. He, he said, you would go and do that. He said, you would go and do that. You're not looking for the healer because he's sitting up on the inside of you. Hallelujah. The revelation of that is what works. So this glory, this word in the, in the Greek is interesting too because it's doxa, D-O-X-A, and it means majesty. It means excellence. It means beauty. It means power. It means honor. It means wealth. It means royalty. It's everything that God is in you. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Why did he put Christ in you? Because as surely as I live, my glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Didn't he say in John chapter 17, glorify them just like he glorified me? Yeah. For the earnest expectation of all creation waits for a manifestation of us. 
For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected him to the same hope. But the creature itself also shall be delivered from bondage of corruption into the glorious, look at this, the glorious liberty, the glorious liberty, the glorious freedom of the children of God. Hallelujah. See, this is why this is only part one. We're going to take some parts. Let's go back to Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 2. Are you there? No, no, it's good. You have to ask about Habakkuk because it's only three pages and sometimes they stick. And, you know, which side of this book of Psalms? I know there's a couple of them on that side of the book of Psalms. So now that you're there, I just want to look at one verse. Verse 14. For the earth, this is Habakkuk, like 500 B.C., 519 B.C. This is what he said. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, like the waters cover the sea, indicating just like Noah's flood wiped everything out. Just like when the law was given, 3,000 people died. And when the Holy Spirit was poured out, 3,000 people were born again. Why? Because the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So there's a lot in this little power pack book here. But this word knowledge here, th this word knowledge doesn't mean that you're going to be educated on the fact that the glory is here. It means discernment. And it, and it, dis and it doesn't mean just seeing it on you or recognizing it from afar. It's kind of like... Hmm. In Psalm uh, 42 and verse 7, the Bible says, deep calls unto deep, right? And so, and I think it's in Hebrews uh, 5 and verse 14, it talks about um, how, you know, when you, when you become spiritually mature, you're not drinking milk anymore, you're ready for strong meat. And I've seen, what I've, what I've observed over my 28 years of pastoring is, some people are over into the deep things of the Spirit of God. And so they'll run around the church. They'll, they'll laugh and, and carry on. And the carnal Christians will look at them and say, wow, there's something weird about them. But it's not weird. It's that deep is calling on to deep. And they've got the, a revelation. Like I used to deal with people coming up to me all the time. Oh, I saw angels while you're preaching all this and all that. And I'm thinking, and I'm thinking, but I, but I understand now that when you get over into the deeper things of the Spirit of God, things happen quickly, and you see things that other people can't see, and you can do things that other people don't do, because you can sit in a church service and be in your mind. You can go through the whole praise and worship and be in your mind, unless something hooks you. Like Ariel today hooked me, you know. And when when those things happen, they tune you. They tune. It's like in right in here right now. There's Sirius F, the XM, and there's AM, and there's 
FM sound going through here, but you, but, but you don't, if you have a tuner, you can tune it in and you could be there with earbuds on and really enjoying the music and dancing around. People think that person's crazy. No, you're tuned into something that they can't hear. You're seeing things that they can't see. That's why it's not good to judge things, you know. You know, and, and not only that, what I've also known about this is being a Christian for years does not make you mature. You know, we have had Christians that have been Christians for 30 years, and you still need to change their diaper because when you get close to them, the smell is like, oh. No, no, they're, they're still in their, living in their minds. Like I watched Pastor Paul and Shirley were such a good example to me because when they came into the church, they, Paul literally knew nothing. I, I mean, nothing spiritual. I mean, he had knowledge in the world and all that kind of stuff. But as far as knowing things of the Spirit of God, nothing. But in six months, they went past people that had been Christians for 20 years because they were hungry and they were thirsty. And then the people that were there for 20 years, instead of celebrating what was happening with Paul and Shirley, they were getting upset. How come, God? Just the very fact that you asked it will tell you the answer. Because you're proud because you think that you know more than the next person. No, no. He, he gets, you know, stay humble, stay sweet, and learn. Whenever you get, whenever you get your head permanently set, it's probably all mixed up anyway. Just like concrete. The earth shall be filled. You'll be, you're not just recognizing it from afar. It's a deep awareness of the heart. A deep awareness of the heart as well as the manifestations that it brings. And so, um, just a couple pages over now, while we're this close to Haggai, Haggai's a teenager, he's going to preach to you. He had a word, he had a word from God. I love what Haggai had to say. I love the whole two chapters. So powerful. If I could only find it. I know. <laughs> I said that. I should remove that woman. No, no. You know, in chapter one, and we're not going to get into it, but he was focusing on, they were so caught up in their own affairs. How many of you know what that's like? You got work to do around the house, or you got this to do, you got that doing, you got a career to manage and all this kind of stuff. And they were very busy doing that. But God said, he said, you're putting your money in a house, in a bag with holes in it. And then he even went and said, I blew on it and the wind scared it away because I was trying to get your attention. You're so caught up in the natural realm, and I'm about to do something magnificent in the spirit, and you're still focused on what you're going to do next year. Right? And so he shook them in chapter 1. But in chapter 2, he encouraged them. In verse 6. Oh, how about verse 5? To the word that I covenanted with you. I, I love that word covenant. It's unbreakable. I remember when I, my, my friends, Ben became my, Ben Priest became my friend before I was ever a member of the tribe of Judah. I said, Ben, I'm in covenant with you. And uh, I will never leave you, never fail you, never forsake you. And no matter what you do, you can't get rid of me. 
right? And I meant it with every, with, with, I said, you'll never, ever run me off. And when I get to know you in the flesh, it's not going to change the honor and the respect that I have for you in the spirit. I said the same thing to Milan Lefebvre. I've been on several motorcycle vacations with Milan over the years, eight or ten, and gotten to know him really well in the flesh with goofing around and doing crazy things. But I tell you right now, when he speaks the word of God, I listen. But that's a decision that I made to honor and respect the anointing on a person's life. So it's very easy to do. It's easy when you make, everything is easy when you make a decision. Right? When you decide you're going to do it, just do it. So he said, I'm in a covenant with you since I brought you out of Egypt. My spirit remains among you. Don't be afraid. For thus says the Lord of armies, yet in a little while, and I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Guess what? There's a whole lot of shaking starting to happen right now. And I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come. But look at this. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. He's not talking about a third temple being built in Jerusalem. My Bible says I'm the temple of the Holy Ghost. Look at verse 8 sandwiched right in there. The silver and the gold are mine. Gold right now is $2,300 an ounce. And every bit that's ever been mined since Solomon's days is out there in the world, and it belongs to God. Well, if it belongs to God, I just read in Romans 8, 17, that I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. The gold doesn't belong to those people that are trying to destroy the earth. It belongs to you and I. What are we going to do? Go get it. Yeah, by faith. Not by some uh, multi-level marketing scheme. <laughs> We've had many of those over the years. No, by faith. Calling those things that be not as though they were. Thank you, Lord, for that wealth transference. Thank you, Lord. I see it happened in today. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm not coveting money. And I know that money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of it. My Bible says that money answers all things. I need money. If you don't want yours, send it to P.O. Box 28063, Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. I'm sure, I guarantee you, we can find something to do with it, something holy. The, look at this. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former. Well, again, I, if for home study, read Exodus chapter 40 and read 2 Chronicles chapter 5. The priests, there was 120 priests, and, and when they tried to enter, 120 is really cool too because there was 120 in the upper room, Right? And so 120 times 50 is 6,000 years, which gives you the idea that something big is going to happen at the end of the age that we're approaching right now. And so it says they, the, 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 the priests fell out. Couldn't, can you imagine having a church service where nobody could move because the glory of God was so heavy and so weighty on us that all we could do is just lay there and enjoy it? And then get up so full of that radiation That wherever you go, God's glory shall be seen upon you. Zzz, zzz. Hallelujah. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I give peace, says the Lord of hosts. I say in this place. This is the place right here. Okay, let's go to um, Corinthians chapter 3. 
Now, all of creation is going to see this and experience this, but the church needs to do it first. And so as a church, we need to get ready, right? Again, deep calls on to deep. And so we need to make sure that we get over into that place. Chapter 3 and verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but carnal, as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not meat, for up until now you're not able to take the meat, neither yet now are you able, for you are carnal when. How can I tell when I'm, when I'm being led by my head and my flesh instead of my spirit? He's going to tell me right here where there is among you envy, strife, and division. Are you not carnal? Aren't you walking like mere men? In other words, you've been made to be a superhero, and you've been living the natural life. So again, that's Psalm 42, 7, and, and Hebrews 5, 14. But because babes can't see, God wants you to see what he's about to do on the earth. With that in mind, I've got one more set of verses. Can you handle one more? Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And again, doxa, majesty, excellence, power, honor, wealth, fullness, royalty, God's radiation surrounding a person, enclosed in God's glory. Come on, you got the spirit within you, and he said the Holy Ghost would come upon you. Would that be a manifestation of glory? But anyway, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, He said, we have a treasure in a clay pot or an earthen vessel. So the flesh gets to carry that. But again, the Ark of the Covenant carried the glory of God for all those thousands of years until, until Jesus came for 4,000 years. Well, more than 4,000, but whenever, whenever Moses made the tabernacle and made the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence was living in a and it's interesting the way the, the box was made, too, because it was gold and wood, flesh and spirit, and it had angels over the top, the mercy seat, and angels are in charge over you to keep you in all of your ways. And he put the law down inside them. He wrote the law on your heart, like you are the Ark of the Covenant today. You're carrying the presence of God today. You know, you have the treasure in an earthen vessel. So people can see the box, but they can't see what's inside. I got to go back to verse 4. Verse 3. But if this good news is hidden, it's hidden to those that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds. Where does he blind? The minds of them that believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. For we preach ourselves, not, not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and we are his servants. For God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness 
is shined in her hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in an earthen vessel. But here's the, here's, the, here's the other thing about God and the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is so cool. You know, in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, The earth became without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. It was a hopeless, messy situation. Everything was in disorder, and the Holy Spirit was waiting for a word. And when the word came, God said, let there be light, and light came and straightened up all that mess. The Holy Ghost is hovering over your life, my life, right now, wanting to straighten everything out. There's not a mess too big that he can't fix. All you got to do is call on him. Hallelujah. Call him out. Amen. Praise the Lord. And then recognize where you're at in God. You know, we have a treasure in an earthen vessel. So the excellency of the power of God, it's not, me, it's not of us. Verse 8, look at this. This is, a, this is not a verse you put on your fridge. We're troubled on every side, but not distressed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing our boat in our body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that he might manifest his life in us. Hallelujah. I mean, when Jesus went to the grave, he took you with him. When he rose from the grave, he took you with him. You're seated in heavenly places in Christ right now. He, it took him three days, but I'm telling you right now, he, he took you from your death experience. And that's why he wants you to learn that. Hey, you, you can't you can't do anything to a you can't do anything to, you can't hurt a dead man. What are you gonna do to a dead man? No, it's kind of like my dentist Dean Miller. You know, one time he was taking out a molar that he didn't need to take up. That's another story. I hope he's watching. And uh, but no, no, you know he put the needles in. Ah, man, why do they have to take it in front of that bright light that's right in front of your face and it looks like it's this big? And then they're zeroing it in there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Feels good, Dean. Thanks very much. No, then he's talking to you, and you're there. And then he slaps your face. Can you feel anything yet? That's what happens when the Holy Ghost comes in. He'll deaden you to the, deaden you to all that stuff that's going around. They'll be slapping you and saying, I don't feel anything. <laughs> I've been, I've been given, I've been given, some anesthetic. You can you can act like a fool if you want to. I'm not even noticing because I'm dead to that. Holy Ghost took away my feelings over that. Feelings, nothing more than feelings. As many as are led by the feelings in their head. <laughs> no. As many as are led by the Spirit of God. Verse um, 17. Now, we just remember what I just read there, persecuted, not forsaken, cast down, not destroyed, and all of that. And then look at what he says in verse 17. This is Paul. This is how dead he was. This light affliction. The first thing you'd ask him is, are you kidding me? They whipped you, beat you, beat your feet with rods and threw you in jail, and you got the nerve to say, this light affliction? What did he know? Which is only temporary. He said, it's working for me. He, he's the one that wrote Romans 8, 28. All things working together for our good because we've been called according to the Lord. He said, this is working for us. A far more exceeding and eternal, there it is, weight of glory. The radiation, the very manifestation, the presence of God. That's kabod, literally, definition, heavy and weighty with everything that God is 
hands and can do. Have you ever been in a service where it's just like, oh, the weight of God's on me right now? And that's just, a, you know, that's just, you know, Cyril fell into the fan doing praise and worship this morning. <laughs> he had a fan for you, brother, right there. He said, it's most, he said it's eternal weight of glory. But now here's the, see, every, every promise, you know, and as far as God is concerned, you know, he said, I've already given unto you all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that's called you unto glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that you might escape the corruptions in the world through lust. As far as he's concerned, he's already given you the promises. And as far as he's concerned, you've already escaped. He, he already gave it all to you. He gave it all to you, but but the, the, how you how you obtain any promise of God is well. First off, calling those things to be not as though they were Romans four seventeen. But right here in verse eighteen, while we look not at the things that are seen, you can end lots of arguments with people by just saying, "Have faith in God." What are you going to say after that? After they cry and tell you their sad story. And we love sad stories because we're pastors and we've heard our share of them. And, and we have compassion for people. I don't mean that we don't. But lots of times it's just because we're looking at the things that are seen. The perplexion. The, the, the struggles that come against us. While we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. This is, again, this is why he gave us Ephesians chapter 1, as Suzanne so eloquently taught on Thursday night. You know, he's given us wisdom and revelation knowledge, the eyes of our understanding being enlightened. So that means I have two sets of eyes. I got the eyes of my head, and I have the eyes of my understanding. The eyes of my understanding are, are the ones that are looking in the Word of God to, that, that, that where liberty is, where the freedom is. I'm, because, you know, there's all kinds of facts, but this is the only truth. There ever was, there ever will be. These are God's thoughts on people. You want to study the mind of a genius? Read the Bible. If you want to know how he thinks, he'll tell you right here. It's already here. So he said, we're not looking at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. Why? Because the things that you're looking at, son, daughter of God, are temporary. They're subject to change. But my word will never change. My word is forever settled in heaven. Psalm 138 and verse 8, I magnified my word even above my name. Hallelujah. You can bank on the word of God. You can't bank on your flesh. Some of the stuff you worried about last year never even happened. But you spent days and weeks fretting over it. You know, that's why he said be anxious for nothing. He was trying to tell you how to live. Don't be anxious or worried about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, just, he said, make your request be known to me, and then, and then let the peace of God rule in your heart. And the things that are true and pure and just and virtuous and praiseworthy and of a good report, think on these things. Think the book. Worry the book. Meditate his word day and night, and then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. Get into the word and stay in the word. It's either the word or the world. Don't look at both. Look at the word. The world is changing rapidly, but the word is established. Hallelujah. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Hallelujah. Well, God bless you, and we're done. 
We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.